Hi, everyone, and welcome to the DCRO Risk Governance Podcast, where we're focusing on risk governance issues, learning about the work of and receiving guidance from experienced board directors, senior executives, and thought leaders on issues that are important for those governing organizations. My guest today is Lakshmi Shyam Sundar. Since 2014, Lakshmi has served as the Group Chief Risk Officer of the World Bank. Immediately prior to this, she was the Chief Financial Officer for MEGA, the Multilateral Investment Guarantee Authority of the World Bank Group, and prior to that worked for the IFC, was an Associate Professor at MIT Sloan School of Management, and served as an Assistant Professor of Finance at Dartmouth's Tuck School of Business. She earned her PhD in Finance from MIT and her MBA from the Indian Institute of Management in Ahmedabad. She serves on the boards of several financial institutions. Welcome, Lakshmi. Thank you, David, and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Thank you for joining us. I know that it's a busy time for people in risk. I'd like to begin by asking you to help our listeners understand the role of the World Bank. So many are familiar with it by name, but again, I think some education in terms of the purpose and mission of the bank might be helpful to the start of our conversation. Oh, thank you, David. Uh, That would be a nice way to start. I think uh, what you call the World Bank is really a group of uh, five institutions, four of which are investment and finance-oriented institutions, and one is an entity that settles investment disputes. So the four ones really have as their primary mission right now what we call our twin goals. One is to end extreme poverty in the world. And uh, that is in line with the Sustainable Development Goals. And our mission and our target is now to bring down the poverty rate from a little under 10% where it is now to 3% by 2030, the end of the SDG period. The second objective is to promote shared prosperity. There is tremendous inequality in the world. And the way we operate, we try to make sure that we are increasing the incomes of the poorest 40% of the people in every country. So these four institutions share this mission, but we do it in different ways. One of the institutions is what people think of when they talk about the World Bank. It's the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development. And it was set up, as you know, straight after World War II with the mission of reconstruction. That's how it gets its name. And most of it operated in Europe with the first loan ever to France to build and reconstruct the railways. Uh, It evolved over time, of course, and as uh, the environment change has adapted, and its focus is much more now on developing countries. We also have a complement to this institution called IDA, which is the International Development Association, and that focuses on the poorest countries in the world. And the focus there is less on uh, you know, loans at market or non-concessional rates, but more on concessional financing and grants. At the same time, that institution is also AAA rated and borrows from the market. So it's quite, quite an interesting uh, group of institutions from a risk management standpoint. The third institution is what you mentioned, the IFC, where I worked for a long part of my career. That's the International Finance Corporation. And it focuses on the private sector. Its mission is to catalyze the private sector in the pursuit of our uh, overall goals. And it does this by making loans, all sorts of quasi-equity instruments, and also straight equity instruments in private companies in developing countries. 
And the fourth institution is MEGA, where I also worked, which is the Multilateral Investment Guarantee Agency. And their focus is on offering political risk guarantees and credit enhancement with the idea of catalyzing equity investments into emerging markets. So that's a brief uh, description of the four institutions that make up the World Bank Group. We are owned by uh, all the member countries, currently about 189 countries, and we have offices in over 130 locations with more than 45% of our staff in various field offices. So it's truly a global institution. But of course, we also have as primary shareholders or major shareholders many of the Western institutions that, uh, you know, provide a great deal of support for these institutions in their operations. So I hope that's a reasonable introduction to the bank, and we can talk a little bit more about uh, these institutions as we go along in the conversation. No, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, one of the things that, you know, as, as I read about the bank and, and as I've seen it over these last 20 years or so, is that these, these areas that you've mentioned particularly the financial ones, seem to be becoming more and more integrated and in ways that they help each other. At least that's the impression of mine from the outside. So when I think about your role as group chief risk officer, I would assume that the risks of um, particularly the four that, that you discussed in more detail are part of your remit. Um, can you talk a little bit more about um, your role? If you were to say to someone, these are my responsibilities as Group Chief Risk Officer for the World Bank. How, how could you describe that? So that's a very, very good question. And I think you're putting your finger on the heart of the matter, which is in recent years, we have come together as a group of institutions. We are owned by the same shareholders. We had different missions with IFC and MEGA being private sector oriented and IBRD and IDA being sovereign lending oriented, but we realize that if we have to crack the problems facing these countries, we have to bring the private and public sector together. So we have started functioning much more as a group with a common mission, common goal in every country, bringing together whatever instruments or tools are appropriate to attack each problem. And one of the reasons, frankly, that I'm in this job is I was one of the first ones to move across the four institutions. I spent a great deal of my career in IFC, but then I moved to MEGA and then to the bank. And that was very, very unusual at that mm. time. It's now become part of our culture to get people to move across these institutions. The way I describe my role, I should mention there is no official or legal entity as a group. Right. It's more a cultural concept. Huh? We do have a common president for all four institutions, but other than that, we are separate legal entities. We each have our own balance sheet. But that said, uh, since you know we all work together, uh, there is a commonality across the four institutions. Each of them manages its own risks, but uh, in my role, I bring together the four institutions when we have cross-cutting issues across the group. So, for example, we might face the same counterparties in IFC and the bank. That would be an opportunity to discuss what are we doing. Likewise, on the countryside, we may be doing business in the same countries and we share information, our assessments of risks in the country, and so on, so that we all have a common view. And uh, that's the sense in which it's a group function. But my primary uh, you know, in-depth responsibility is for IBRD and IDA. And here, as you know, given our mission, it's a very, very complex organization. 
And we have a large number of risks in the actual projects that we do in developing countries, whether they're roads or ports or even uh, other types of projects on human infrastructure like education and uh, health. Now, those, the risks in those projects are managed separately. They are not part of what I would call the balance sheet side of the risk management. I, as chief risk officer, am responsible for the overall balance sheet, but not so much for the risks in the countries themselves arising from those projects. That is managed separately. That said, of course, we communicate a great deal and we share information and we feed information from that side into what we do. But I'd say my primarily my primary responsibilities are very much in the domain of what you would see in a financial institution. And we are a bank, and that's why we have this role. It is to manage the balance sheets of the organization. So one of the key areas would be capital adequacy. It's cutting across all risks. Do we have enough capital to operate at AAA levels, which is mm. quite a challenge for us, you know, given, given the kind of business we do. Do we have enough liquidity? Do we have access to funding at the right rates? What's our market and counterparty risk, our liquidity risks? And very importantly, of course, the sovereign credit risk that we run on all the balance sheets. So that's, that's a very important area. Now, one more area that is under my domain is what we call operational risks. And this is very much uh, like operational risk as defined in Basel and so on which is the uh, risks arising from people, processes, and our systems. And uh, one of the things I did when I took over as chief risk officer was actually to establish an operations risk department. We had the functions scattered and dispersed across the organization, which was essentially the first line itself, but there was no real oversight or second line function. So by creating this department, we have actually introduced that oversight, which has proven to be invaluable because in the few years that it has existed, it has brought together these various strands and subdomains of operational risk, established a very current framework for how we look at these risk appetites and tolerances, all the key metrics, and when incidents occur, learning from them and responding to them, but also feeding back into our policies and frameworks. And needless to say, uh, this covers things like IT risks and uh, business continuity. And this has proven to be invaluable given what we are all facing today in terms of the transition to home-based work. I think our business continuity preparedness has proven to be really, really something that has paid off extremely well and something we're very proud of, as uh, I think many institutions are. But uh, we had prepared extremely well, and believe it or not, one of the uh, scenarios that we tested last year was, in fact, a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think we've, we're in a good place for having done these things. And uh, we've introduced very strong governance as well. So we have uh, various committees through which uh, issues are brought for discussion, allowed to surface and decisions are well documented. And, and the operational risk group is the one that Amide is leading? That's correct, yes. yes. So, so uh, for those listening, uh, we will have Amide as a guest later this fall, um, so we'll be able to go into some more of those details. I find this, you know, again, very fascinating. One of the things that um, I love in terms of your description about the bank, uh, we've talked in, in other podcasts about organizations needing purpose. 
and this goal of taking extreme poverty from 10% to 3% in what is a very, very short window of time. I mean, that's uh, 2030 uh, by all accounts, I would say, is, is a short window of time. It would seem to me that that kind of goal, and, and given what the implications are for people's lives, uh, that your job um, as Group Chief Risk Officer would have an incredible impact on the success of achieving that. I mean, it's not that you're responsible for it happening or not happening, but there'd be a significant role that you're playing. Would you, would you say you feel that in your role? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the current situation is a perfect example of that because the bank, unlike other financial institutions, can't pull back at a time like this. Right. This is exactly when we have to step up to the plate and say, well, how do we rush in and help countries? And I think we all, in my entire uh, domain, all my staff, uh, we can feel it every day because we have managed our resources in such a way that we have the capacity now to respond quickly. And we have been really, really agile at how we've uh, adapted and uh, quickly processed loans to some hundred countries, all in relation to COVID response. And, uh, you know, we deal with things like how much exposure can we take to a certain country, how much capacity do we have, how much can we lend and still keep our AAA, all of these things which my staff are working on on a day-to-day -day basis, so they feel it directly uh, connected to the mission of the group and uh, the response that we are making. So it makes us extremely proud. And one of the things we do, annual engagement surveys, and, uh, you know, if you ask people, they they all feel this, and it comes across very strongly that this is an organization with a mission and a purpose, and they feel extremely engaged in what they're doing. So I think in some ways for us, this might have been one of the best places to be at a time mm. like this, because these, well, uh, of course it's challenging, but it's also very, very, uh, it gives you a great deal of uh, sense of purpose, as you rightly put it. Yeah, and I think when we're working hard and we're facing new challenges, knowing that that purpose means so much for others is, is you know, can, can help motivate us in our, in our own work. And if I'm not mistaken, um, IDA gets some of its financing from the success of the IBRD. So that's an interesting question. Uh, IDA until recently was not a market-facing institution. It was right. funded by donors and by the reflows of the loans that were paid. And it used to make grants and concessional credits. So a few years ago, we realized that these reflows in the organization were actually quite large mm. and effectively formed equity in the organization. So we used this to say, couldn't we use this money much more efficiently by leveraging a bit? And we did a lot of work, especially on the risk side, to see how much would be the optimal level of leverage, mm. but keep it at AAA levels because that's critical to being able to access the market, especially in times of crisis and at cheap enough rates to be able to on-lend to clients. And when we did that, it is an independent AAA, but I do believe it being part of the World Bank Group and the fact that we share the same staff, the same philosophy, the same style of operating was a huge factor in, in getting that AAA. So yes, in, in some subtle uh, qualitative ways, there is indeed a strong connection between the two institutions. Yeah, and, and serving the poorest of countries, I think, for Ida's uh, mission, um, that's that's really incredible to think that you have AAA backing that. And, and the, again, the way in which the yes. organization is, is interrelated um, to help build that success. When I read about it on the outside, I look at it and I say, oh, this is, this is wonderful to see how this is working. Um, 
there's still oversight. I mean, there, there's oversight of, of the group. I know you had said there's not a, a technically a legal entity that's that. But I assume there's an oversight um, that would be akin to a board, if not a specific board itself. Um, do you have regular reporting to a group like that? And if so, what are some of the key risks that you're bringing to them on a regular basis so that they understand um, the importance of your work in, in fulfilling the mission? Yes, so uh, indeed we have uh, a board, a very active and very engaged board. Unlike most institutions, we actually have a resident board. Hmm. So uh, we have representatives of uh, all the countries and they form constituencies. So we have 23 members of the board uh, that oversees us on a very, very regular basis. So every project that we do actually has to go to the board for approval. There's a tiered system. Some go on a no-objection basis, but they can call it for any reason. And many others above a certain threshold have to go for full discussion. In addition, on the finance and risk side, we have regular reporting to the board and to a subcommittee of the board called the Audit Committee. The Audit Committee here functions uh, both as an Audit Committee reviewing financial statements, but also as a Risk Committee looking both at risks that have been developing and what could be emerging in the near future that we should be preparing for. So it's quite forward-looking as well. And I report at least once a quarter to this uh, Audit Committee. We have actually a very standardized report that we have designed. It's a couple of pages up front as a dashboard which uh, shows them the trends and some key indicators relative to our risk appetite and tolerances. But then underneath that is a great deal of detail on all of the financial and operational risks that we are running, significant amount of description of uh, what we think, and also a little section on what we see. We call it on the horizon, which is what do we see coming so that we can all prepare for that, good and bad. Right, so we right. let them know new, new initiatives, but uh, you know, positive developments as well as some things that we are concerned about. So they can see the evolution of risks and uh, what we need to, need to be thinking about. And in addition, at the end of every uh, year, and actually around this time, we produce a very, very comprehensive report called the Annual Risk Report, which covers the entire year but it's also forward-looking and says what, what could happen in the next two, three years for us, what are the main priorities, what are the consequences, and we do a lot of stress testing on all aspects of the risks that we cover and give them an indication of both upside as well as downside scenarios. And this very often feeds into some key decisions that are made at this uh, time of the year. So well, and- that's, that's the main reporting. Of course, ad hoc, they can call for a report or a discussion at any time, and we do that as well on specialized topics. Yeah, and there was something I read about, and again, I, I don't know that this is uh, something that your group has a part in, but there was, uh, in, in increasing transparency at the bank, I read something about a World Bank Group Corporate Scorecard. I was curious as I read about that whether risk is or the use of risk um, plays any role in that scorecard. Is, is that something that, that your group has any uh, input to? Yes, we do have an input, although it's primarily produced by the operations side. Okay. And what that is designed to track is more our development outcomes. So every right. time we engage, we have certain goals. Uh, I mentioned the broad twin goals. But underlying that, we have a number of different dimensions like gender, climate, 
the volumes that we do in different countries, how much do we do in fragile and conflict-affected countries, and so on. And each of those is measured and reported on in the scorecard. There is also some component on the financial side of things as well. But the main focus is really what are we achieving for our clients and how are we measuring according to the various goals and targets that we set for ourselves. So that's yeah. what that scorecard tries to capture. Yeah, getting back to purpose. Um, and I think that, you know, to have those available for discussion internally um, naturally generates good discussions at the board level that I think will lead um, to an understanding of, of what drives that success and then ultimately what risks there are or challenges they're faced or opportunities there are uh, to, to achieving those goals. But I thought that would be an interesting place to learn about uh, how your group um, uh, plays a role in, in populating that. Now, we've talked a little bit about IVRD and IDA um, and then uh, mentioned IFC. MEGA is the group to me that people, you know, if, they, if you ask them who's part of the World Bank group, um, MEGA is one of those ones that you don't hear about as much. What is the importance of MEGA in, say, completing the picture um, of, uh, of the World Bank Group? So, yeah, this is a very intriguing entity, actually, and most people until recently didn't even know of its existence because it was very small and probably overshadowed by the bank and maybe even IFC. Mm -hmm. But the bank deals with sovereign credit risk. IFC deals with private sector risks, commercial risks. And there was a gap where there, you find that there are people willing to go and invest in these countries. They're willing to take the commercial risks and so catalyze the private sector, but they are not willing to take what they see as political risks. So, for mm -hmm. example, a government breach of contract or a government expropriating assets. They're also not willing to take transfer and convertibility risks. So these were the kinds of things that there was a vacuum for. And somebody had the brilliant insight, I think it was in 1988, to create this entity called MEGA as part of the World Bank Group to help provide insurance against these risks. And the way it's able to do that is because we have such good relationships with the government. So if there are signs of some trouble, some dispute arising in an investment project, we are able to intervene, talk to both sides, and resolve the dispute so that the insurance actually doesn't have to get called. There have been very, very few actual insurance claims for MEGA. And, but there have been many what we call pre-claim type situations where MEGA has played a very, very uh, crucial role in resolving those issues and, more importantly, making the project go through to fulfillment so that there is a good development outcome as well as a return uh, to the investors as they expected when they invested in the project. So that, that was the role that MEGA plays, and it's, uh, you know, its focus has been heavily on countries, as you can imagine, where there is huge political risk or perceived political risk. So if you look at their portfolio, it tends to be in the poorest countries, which have some of the most serious governance and other types of issues, so that private sector investors are not willing to go into those countries. It's also in a key priority area for the bank group now, which is the fragile conflict and violence-affected states, hmm. where you could have these kinds of events like expropriations, war, and civil disturbance, and obviously private sector doesn't want to take those risks. So MEGA is playing an increasingly, uh, you know, I would say more and more important role in the uh, menu of instruments that we bring to encourage investment in these markets. 
Yeah, when I first learned of it, I, I thought of it again is that is that piece that sort of completes the picture um, where you have all of these different things that you can leverage, the AAA rating of the other in, uh, organizations, but also still this need to manage this other uh, risk is I think that can create fear in people, whether it's perceived risk, as you had said, or actual risk. Um, so I thought it was fascinating. And also when I first learned about it, it was described as a very small part, but I think it, it sort of has an impact uh, larger than its size might might imply. So thank you for describing that. We have about five minutes left, and I would like to get some of your insight. This this really goes into what you've learned in your role here and in other work that you've done, because there are organizations that look at group chief risk officers or enterprise risk management, and they don't have them yet, but they're thinking about it. And I think that one of the one of the arguments that I've always tried to make about why a role like yours is so valuable is because it helps organizations to create long-term value. So in this case, if we're talking about the alleviation of extreme poverty, particularly if it has an enduring effect um, of reduction in poverty, that's incredible long-term value. So could you describe a bit, um, you know, not thinking beyond the bank, but to anyone, any organization that's looking at an enterprise function or group chief risk officer function, the value that your work brings to that idea of creating long-term value. So, yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. For a traditional financial institution, it's fairly clear that risk management is about balancing risk and return. And so you can see the value of that function. For an institution such as a bank or maybe a non-financial institution, it's, it's, it's really a question people grapple with, right? What, what exactly does this function mean? And you're right. In the bank, uh, I think if you go back in history, uh, there probably wasn't a formal function known as a chief risk officer. But why has it become so important and become so valuable? I think because it has proven to be a very useful tool for the board and for management in deciding about long-term strategic direction. Hmm. And just to give you one example, we recently concluded a capital increase exercise for the bank in 2018. And there were very, very intense discussions on the future direction of the bank, which we finally concluded by calling it the forward look. What should the priorities be? Where should these resources be allocated? Uh, how and how much is needed for different segments of the kinds of operations we're thinking of? And risk had a crucial role to play in all those questions and answers. Good. Uh, you know, in terms of what would the trade-offs be for making these decisions or how much would it cost to move in a certain direction? Just to give you one example, we serve all clients. But at the same time, if poverty alleviation is your goal, you also want to tilt more toward the poorer countries. And sometimes there is a correlation between poverty and risk of those countries. And we were able to demonstrate how much more capital intensive that would be, for example, so how much more it would cost to tilt in a certain way, in a certain direction. And for every X percent that you tilted in that direction, here's how much more it would cost in terms of capital. So mm. it was a fascinating exercise, actually. It was fed directly into strategy and uh, future direction. That aside, of course, risk management is extremely useful in other ways as well. First, it brings about a great degree of transparency and disclosure on all of the issues that we are facing. Second, uh, risk is seen as a neutral and very objective party. So I think it engenders a great deal of trust and uh, facilitates discussions on, on difficult issues. 
And as I said earlier, it helps us use our capital efficiently. Capital is a scarce resource. So people value the way in which we are able to uh, engage with them on how this capital is used. A third area or closely related to this is on optimizing the use of our capital by partnering with others. And this is something I've been engaged in a lot in developing new instruments that may or may not be on our balance sheet, but, but we can bring other people into the uh, equation and therefore maximize uh, you know, or minimize the use of our resources and bring other resources in to address some of these issues, which is hugely valued. MEGA, by the way, we talked about it, is a great example of that. It's a very small organization, but because it reinsures with the private market, it is able to leverage its small capital several times over because it effectively transfers risk to the reinsurance market. So this is the kind of thing we are engaged in a lot, and I think people look to risk to help in these uh, areas. Well, and this, this to me, what you just described is what I most often like to hear about with risk functions is that they're involved in innovation. And, and we think of innovation in different ways. You know, there was some financial innovation that you were just describing, but at the same time, uh, innovation in relationships. Uh, and I think when we have risk involved in that, it doesn't just become a focus on loss and loss avoidance, which you know, no one begins their mission statement saying, let's make sure we don't go from 10 to 15% poverty. The mission statement is we're going from 10% to 3%. That's the goal. And that's a forward-looking positive view that I think, uh, you know, what you just described about your role in the risk function complements. So I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. Um, I always run out of time in the conversations that I enjoy the most, and this was really lovely. I appreciate your taking us into a little bit deeper dive into what the World Bank Group is doing in, in your role. We look forward to keeping in touch with you, and I wish you well um, over these next several months because we, we all are facing great uncertainty and, and you have to manage it on a global scale. So uh, I wish you uh, success, continued success with that, Lakshmi. Thank you again. Thank you very much, David. It's been a pleasure talking to you and good luck to you as well with DCRO and I look forward to continued uh, interaction. Thank you. <laughs>